0: Today's chapter is from Samuel 2, it's chapter 6, and it's verse 1 to 15. It's on page 258 of your Bible. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him, from Baal Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of Hosts, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the Ark of God on a new cart, and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Hao, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the Ark of God, and Aho went before the Ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of the god. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Abedidom, the Gittite, and the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Abededom the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed Abededom and all his household. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Abededom and all that belongs to him, because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Abededom. the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Please keep your Bibles open so we can continue learning this passage.
1: Nice Thanks, Kath, very, very much for reading that to us. And uh, I think uh, Hannah's going to lead a mass exodus now of uh, wherever uh, uh, the children are going to be taught. And we'll find out what they've learnt. I think they're heading off into the warm kitchen. I hope it's not too warm here for you because if it gets too warm, you fall asleep. And that's not allowed. <laughs> there are strict
0: rules
1: (laughs) (laughs) worst things have happened I tell you we're going to learn about them tonight Now, here's the question as we come into this when it comes to God what's more important having the right actions to do for him or the right feelings to have towards him which of those two do you think counts more? Now, it seems that actually the Bible is pushing us towards thinking that actions really do matter because here's a bloke whose actions were wrong and he died as a result, so surely actions are important. The Bible has lists of commands because actions are important. It tells you how to love your brother or your neighbor because actions are important. And yet here comes a chapter in 2 Samuel chapter 6, that is really full of feelings. There's lots of music going on. Music is emotive. But more than that, the words have got the power of feelings behind them. So, uh, For example, uh, in verse 7, God is angry. Verse 8, David is angry. Verse 9, David is scared. Verse 12, David rejoices. And although we won't come to it this week, In verse 16, David's wife despises him in her heart. Lots of feelings around. And I want to suggest that what we feel about God is actually more important than what we do because there's a link between the two of them However, it's feelings that comes first because they drive what we will do. Now, that may not be what we want to hear because generally we're doing people and we like to do things that can then tick the box to say we've done it, but it doesn't always work like that. I mean, it's convenient if it did, so if I I don't need to like my neighbour very much. If I can do him a favour and that ticks the love your neighbour box... I'm happy, but the Bible says, love your neighbor. Actually, if I do, then yes, favors, plural, will come from that love. And the Bible is written so that we will have two feelings towards God. One is to fear him. The other, I'm going to put it in the strongest possible way, is to adore him now they don't they sound like opposites don't they to fear and to adore someone and yet both these emotions are in the same man towards the same God in this chapter and we're going to be looking at that together so that in the goodness of God as we study the Bible he will grow these feelings in us towards him. That's the desire of tonight. So, the first, then, is to fear God. And that's the first sign of anyone who actually understands that God is dangerous. You see that fear in David, actually, in verse 9, where He is afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? This God is so dangerous. How can he and I be in the same place? He is feeling afraid. Now, in the past, he has always thought that God is great. He certainly wants the ark of God to come and live in his new royal city, the city of David, because he thinks this is a great God and he wants this God living in the city with him, he thinks God is great and maybe I need to tell you something about the Ark because that's obviously mentioned and the Ark of God a lot of people say is just uh, basically um, a gold box with God in it and Verse 2 tells us that that's not what it is, because if you look at verse 2, it's identified, it's a box identified with God's name, that is his, his nature, because there's an awful lot that's in that box that tells you what he's like, including the commandments that he gave Moses there in there, plus little bits of God's provision and care for his people there in there as well. They tell you what God's nature is like, And they, in that sense, it is the ark of God's name. It tells us that in verse 2. But he's not in the box. It tells us in verse 2 that he's enthroned above the cherubim. He's way above all of that. And he's not there himself. Now, this is the ark that played a big part in the first part of this story. All the way back in one Samuel, we read a lot about it. But actually, it's been parked aside for the last 70 years and we've not had anything to do with it for that long but now David wants it brought back to Jerusalem or brought into Jerusalem and we saw that's the royal city he established for himself last time and he understood that Jerusalem wouldn't be Jerusalem without God in it that makes sense to us if you were here last week because we saw how that Jerusalem is getting us ready for heaven, the new Jerusalem, which is run by God's king in the presence of God himself. So David wants the ark in Jerusalem. He sees that God is great. But he needs to understand that God's more than great. Yes, he understands that God is great. You can see that right at the start in verse 1 where uh, he gets the 30,000 chosen men of Israel together. In other words, this is a scale of importance that big. It ranks with what David would do if he had something as big a national emergency as the Philistines coming to attack him. He'd get 30,000 of crack blokes to meet that and he's now got the same scale of effort because he thinks this is as significant, as big a thing as that. So he's doing a big thing to get God's name out of obscurity to showcase his greatness in his city. In a sense, I guess that's actually what we're doing as a little church, aren't we? We're dragging God's name out of obscurity in most people's Minds to showcase his greatness where we can on our state. And David is doing a big thing in that sense, just like we're doing a huge thing when we do that. And there are big numbers, there's big music in verse 5. But God isn't just great, He is dangerous. And as you read about what's going on, you can see that David is taking a very big risk. Because way back in the Old Testament part of the Bible, God had given very simple, clear instructions about how this ark was to be moved. And it was a very simple instruction, uh, which is no touch, no look, and no cart. It's all there in Numbers chapter four, verses fifteen and twenty. And if you ignore God's clear and simple instructions, the numbers four, verses uh, five, uh, uh, so numbers four, verses five and twenty will tell you that you would die. And here they put the ark on a cart they've broken the no cart rule that was okay when the Philistines did that we're back in 1 Samuel chapter 6 they did that and they got away with it because they were not God's people they did not know any better and it seems at the start that these guys are getting away with it too it seems like God is patient with them there's no immediate strike but it goes wrong when you get to verse 6 and the cattle stumble and that was it now you've got the ark with a dead body next to it and it was unforgettable this is the only bump in the road that has its own name in verse 8 they will never forget the place where God broke out in Uzzah on this spot Now what do you make of a God who kills someone for touching the ark? Well one thing's for sure, doesn't it tell you that the Bible isn't a made up book? Because who would make up a God like this? Not if you want him to make friends and influence people. we wouldn't be able to make it up because God is just so not like us. We wouldn't have reacted like this. We would have cut a uh, bit of slack, wouldn't we? After all, he's only trying to help. And David seems to think the same way. He gets angry. So I guess in that sense, God, he is like us too. But David is not like, uh, God is not like David in this case, and he's not like us. And that's why he is dangerous. And that's what David seems to have learnt in verse 9, that he and God are different, and he and God can't be in the same place without it being risky. And the thing that we need to understand is that God is dangerous, so we can grow a fear of Him too. And in the goodness of God, I think there are things that God has put in our world to help us to learn a fear like this. So for example, in this whole thing, uh, something like gravity can be a great teacher, can't it? If you go up to a tall building and you look over the edge, don't you feel scared? Because you know what gravity can do. And all it takes is one move off the edge and that is it, death follows. It's no good saying right Kike, uh, uh, we can get away with it if we jump off the edge for the right motives. So there's my wife's uh, uh, new expensive phone falling off, she's just dropped it accidentally, Uh, I'll jump off and get it but don't worry my Motives are fine, so I'll be restored safely to where I was. Nothing bad will happen. Doesn't work, does it? You can't jump off and uh, say, <clears throat> actually, it, the important thing is you learn from your mistakes. You jump off, you fall for quickly, and you say, no, that's the wrong thing to do. I learn from my mistakes, and I'll be back on the level again. It doesn't work like that doesn't work if you jump off and say, well, I'll do enough good and I'll get myself back up again. I'll flap my arms really hard and let's see if I can land back safely. doesn't work. doesn't work if you try and create a little gravity-free bubble where all the usual laws are suspended. I suppose in some ways that's what atheism tries to do. But gravity is constant. You're going to have to come out of your bubble at some stage. And defying gravity is dangerous, you only need to do it once and you die. And we know that and we're scared whenever we see the power of gravity when it's dangerous to us. Don't you feel that? I'm using an example because I think actually we're all scared of gravity in that sense. That's a good fear to learn to apply towards God. Because he is not like us. That's what makes him dangerous. The Bible actually says that the not like us word is that he is holy. But he really is not like us. We think our way of doing things can sometimes be better than God's way of doing things. And we're told that we can expect God to live with that. We think differently with it against him in some areas. So in uh, whole areas to lifestyles today, uh, we are told, well, you know, times have changed and therefore what God once thought was not acceptable, well, these days there's a lot more leeway in uh, how it works. Well, I'm afraid there's real anger in God when that happens when we think that our way uh, is on a par with his way. And what you need to notice is that his anger here is not for murderers and for those who've done heinous wrong. This time, it's for a priest. If you notice, it's actually just for an error. That's all the Bible uses to describe uh, what happened Um, in verse 7. Struck him down there because of his error. Even though it was with all the right motives. And in the context of worship. We need to fear a God who is so different to us but won't accommodate himself to us just because we think we have a different way of doing it. We need to learn how to fear a God who is just so different to the way we are. But at the same time, it is important to flick the coin on the other side of the coin if I can get there is that God can be adored as well as feared. You say, what? After all you've told us? Now I'm saying adore him because of all I've told you. (laughs) It is because God is feared that we can adore him. And the more you fear him, the more you will love him. Let me explain what I mean by that. First, you might already have picked up that actually God... Doesn't want anyone to die. That's why he had the no look, no touch, no (coughs) cart instructions right at the start. Gravity itself is actually not dangerous. It's a wonderful blessing to have something consistent like that. It's actually really quite uh, a relief that you don't go flying off uh, at random intervals unpredictably. In that way. Gravity is a great blessing in that sense. And that's what we find out with God as well. He was a great blessing in uh, verse 8 with, uh, not verse 8, with uh, Obed uh, Edom in verse 10. And in verse 11, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of uh, Obed Edom the Gitaid for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now we don't quite know exactly what kind of blessing that took. It doesn't say here, but it does actually in uh, 1 Chronicles uh, 25, sorry, 1 Chronicles 26 and verses 4 to 8, it says he had eight sons and made descendants. And God certainly loves to give life, not take it. That's actually <coughs> what gravity does. Life is much more scary if there was no gravity. Life would be a whole lot more scary if there was no God allowing people to do whatever they wanted to, and he just didn't mind. But the wonderful thing is that fear of God doesn't rule out great love for him. And you see that uh, in verse 12. Because, uh, and particularly in verse 13, I think. Because in verse 12, you see David there with great rejoicing. But in verse 13, you see that the fear of God is now there uh, in the center of things. Can you see how the ark is being carried? It is now with people bearing it rather than on a new cart. And you can see how David has now answered in verse 13 that question that he had in verse 9, which is, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? And the answer is through sacrifice. Animals are now dying on the road and not people. Lots of animals. Actually, God hadn't asked him to sacrifice as much as that, but when you fear God and you realize how easy it is to get it wrong with him, then you especially value the possibility of a substitute carrying uh, the anger for our wrong in our place. That's what animals were there. That's the purpose they served in the Bible. People got it wrong, and God's way of protecting them was to provide an animal sacrifice so the animal died and the people lived. It's like a lightning conductor on the side of the house, so that the lightning has another path to travel, it won't destroy the house, it is there to protect. And what David is saying is, every six steps he's saying, I need God's protection from his anger. And I suppose you could say, it's like God saying, every six steps, I have given you a system of safety for my anger. I love you so much. Actually, it goes further than that, doesn't it? Because the animal sacrifice, the Old Testament, were never going to be a substitute for a man's failure. There's no match between an animal and a man. You have a person to die in place of another person. It's the only way it can work. And therefore you understand what God had in mind when he sent Jesus to die on the cross. Now it's a person replacing those animals and dying in place of the one who had provoked God to anger. So David, effectively, every six steps in verse 13 is saying, I need the forgiveness that only Jesus can give as I uh, go along this road. And then he dances every six steps or the next six steps uh, in praise in verse 14 because he had a God who could provide that kind of freedom from death, security for him. So after sacrifice, he dances the next six steps. God can be adored because Although he's dangerous, he keeps people safe. The more you realize the danger, the more you value the safety. And you adore the one who can keep you safe. That's why it's important to fear God. You see, if you didn't fear God, your love of God would be really superficial, your praise of God would be really superficial. You just praise Him for stuff. But if you understand the fear of God and really learn it, you will learn to love the forgiveness of God and learn to adore him uh, for that. So, if you're someone who's uh, new to Christian things, uh, look, let me uh, suggest uh, the trap to avoid. And the trap to avoid is thinking... That we've got a to top up God. In other words, we're basically good and God just tops up our goodness to make us even better. Lots of people have that kind of top up view of God. Now, you might be good, but see yourself like that priest. Okay, good. Maybe even understanding a lot about God. Maybe even acting with all the right motives. And maybe just getting it wrong in the odd error department now and then. But nonetheless, teach your heart to fear him because when it comes to errors, it tells us that God is not just going to be angry with pedophiles, he can be angry with priests in the way he was with Uzzah. And therefore, easily angry with you and me. And therefore, we need to teach our heart to fear. I wonder if I can suggest this. Every time you get a panic attack with gravity, and you think, gosh, that would be really scary. Can you just keep linking that with being scared about God and the danger that he is? when we defy him in the way we might defy uh, gravity and die so we need to be uh, uh, wanting to learn from that a right fear of God even though we might think of ourselves as reasonably good with reasonable good motives secondly if you're someone who's done a few miles in the church scene, isn't there a challenge here for us? Let me ask it like this. When was the last time you danced? I don't mean dancing in church. That's superficial too. I mean dancing on the road of life. <coughs> dancing every six steps. See, it's just easy, isn't it, for us to think the church people, well, generally, we're mostly there or thereabouts, and we're okay, and, uh, yeah, we might make a few errors, we never get more serious than that. The trouble is, me we think like that, then our relationship with God is light-hearted, our praise of God is light as well, and I think one of the ways it communicates or shows itself is that we think actually what needs to happen if we're going to praise God properly is a fair amount of really decent, upbeat music, like David had, and maybe that's why he's praising, but when you look at verse 13 and the sacrifices that are behind his praise, behind his dancing, then we understand that actually. What you need to really praise God is not music, but humility. And it's when we understand that we are so much in need of God's forgiveness every six steps, and are humble and see how true that is and how real that is, that's when we dance because God has found a way to forgive us and keep us progressing before him. Then lastly, perhaps, if you understand about forgiveness and can tick that box, perhaps our question tonight is how much do you fear him? Because that is an important question it can only be answered really by thinking through how seriously we listen to what he says if he says touch that ark and you will die he isn't bluffing and if he says touch that sin and you will die we need to be frightened and my friend there are some sins that only the fear of God in our hearts will help us to drive out. If we don't grow fear of God what we will grow in its place is complacency every time. Far better to take the fear of God and to grow that. So grow that fear of God And from it will also grow a great love of God because in the goodness of God and as you can see in this chapter those two will always go together. Let me pray. But I'll tell you what, let me keep quiet and you pray. You talk to God about the things that we've seen in this part of the Bible. You say what you want to say to God in response to what we've looked at and studied and then I'll pray and then we'll take questions after that worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling Almighty God please help us to understand how much we are not like you so that we might have a right fear of you because of the ease with which we get things wrong and help us therefore to worship you with reverence and to rejoice with trembling and we ask that In the name of the Lord Jesus, for our good and for his
0: glory. Amen. Amen.